Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everything that we tell ourselves is a story, a good story or a bad story, whatever. But they're stories and we tend to believe them, but they're not who we are. That is author, podcaster and motivational speaker, Melissa Ambrosini. And this is episode 234 of the Osher Ginsburg podcast. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsburg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsburg. This is my show. If you don't know me, hi, I work on TV in Australia. Sometimes, uh, well, I used to work on radio in Australia before I made the switch to podcasting. Make the switch to the all new. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I podcast now, which is ace. Um, but on the TV, sometimes I count roses and deliver date cards in the Australian version of the Bachelor-related adventures. But every Monday for the last 233 Mondays, I've been here with you having a conversation that you get to be a part of with someone that you may know, someone that you may not know, but each week I guarantee that you will, as you listen, just go, oh, really? That resonates with me. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Just something that will hopefully make today a little better than yesterday. That's all I'm trying to do here. There's many other episodes to explore. I'd love to know your favorites. In fact, there's a list, a growing list over at the brand new Osher Ginsburg podcast Facebook group of um, best episodes to listen to. So I have nothing to do with that list. That is curated purely by people, people that listen to the show. It's growing wonderfully. I did ask last week, hey, why don't we try and get together on Facebook? Why don't we see if we can't? you know, talk to each other and, and have a conversation around, you know, people who enjoy the show and people who can help each other out. And there's been a lot of great information exchange, certainly after people who listen to Simon Hill and Fraser Bailey's shows about eating plant-based and, you know, a lot of people, you know, supporting each other there with transitioning to at least exploring plant-based diets. It's really exciting to see that kind of stuff. Um, it's already a couple of hundred people, which is super exciting. I'd love to have you there. Just search for the Osher Ginsburg podcast um, over there in Facebook. Um, I did go live there. I got live there this week as I prepared to interview Danielle Prince, who's a rhythmic gymnast, and she'll be on the show in a couple of a couple of weeks. And um, just to kind of you know give you a bit of a window into how things how things work and how I make the show and why I make this show. Yeah, just search for us, Osher Ginsburg podcast in a Facebook group, and you have to answer a question. And you know, I know the admin. I can get you in. Uh, I do want to say a big thanks very much to everybody that ordered a copy of my book this week. You can do it right now. 
if you go to osha.is slash pre-order, that's what I did, osha.is slash pre-order, you can pre-order the book at a 20% discount, which is lots. Uh, and if you email me the receipt, I will shoot you something special, something personally special to say thank you for doing that. Just email me the receipt, send us your email at gmail.com and I'll shoot you something special to say thank you very much. If this is your first episode, you might know, but for a long time that you might have been seeing me on TV, if you live in Australia, I might have popped up on your television from time to time over the course of the last 20 years. Uh, or if you heard me on the radio, you might not know that I've been managing life with mental illness. Sometimes it is... You know, you know, fairly, I don't know, garden variety, anxiety, depression. Sometimes it was very, very bad. Uh, and I went through psychosis and a few other pretty nasty things. So I self-medicated for a while, which did not work out. But eventually I found a path to feeling better and I wanted to write about that. And I wanted to write about how with the help of some fantastic doctors, a great mentor and my dear, loving, loving wife, Audrey, that I managed to recover from some darkness, man. And... I now have a life that is a long, long, long way from how bad things were because I also wanted to write about it because I know I'm not alone in going through what I went through and going through what I continue to go through. So, yeah, that's why I wanted to write the book because I hate the word bloody stigma. There's such a stigma around the use of the word stigma, isn't there? So I just wanted to normalise the conversation around mental illness. Four million Australians are affected by complex mental illness. That's a lot of us. All right. Everyone listening knows someone or is someone who is going through something. It might be anxiety or depression. It might be in the trickier end of things. It might be something like bipolar or eating disorder or OCD or even schizophrenia. Because these things don't discriminate. And they affect so many of us. But because we feel icky talking about it, a lot of people that it does affect don't get help. And I'm specifically talking also about people that are living with someone or know someone who's going through it. Don't get help. Don't get support for themselves. So I just wanted to start talking about it. I'm just trying to talk about my experience. It's only I'm an N equals one. I'm a sample size of one. But I just wanted to try and talk about my experience and try as much as I can to try and normalize the conversation that, that it becomes more normal to talk about going through these kinds of things in the hope that it might encourage you or someone you know to get help or to at least feel that you're not alone. And part of talking about it is to check in with you each week and um, to talk about how I'm going in the hope that you might also check in with someone, someone that you know, just to talk about, you know, what's going on with you. Don't worry. Don't worry. Everything I tell you, I've already told my wife, Audrey, or my shrink, or both of them, usually both of them. <laughs> so to check in this week, I do have to say, uh, yesterday, yesterday was the best lunch I have had in a long time, a long time. Uh, if you've been listening for the last couple of months, you'll know that I am on a mission around really having a lot of discipline around diet and exercise, about eating very carefully, uh, eating very mindfully, taking time to prepare my food and only eating certain amounts and, and really seeing a change in my body and my mind when I do that. I work out every day. It's, it's all a part of living life off of, off of meds and you know, there's a, I guess there is a calorie marker that I try and keep under every day. And that's really helpful for me as someone, I appreciate numbers. All right. I appreciate numbers. And I'm someone that's, you know, battled with and, and kind of lives with, you know, I have a susceptibility to compulsive behavior, including compulsive eating that's been in my past. And seeing that number and knowing that it means I've had enough food or that, that means a lot. Having that decision taken away from me 
and my greedy brain is very, very helpful for me. Seeing that number on the scale, seeing that number in the little app that I count things with, and then looking in the mirror week after week of eating that way and seeing the results, that's the kind of thing that works for me. All right, might not work for you, but that's what works for me. And it's very, very, very helpful. But yesterday, Audrey and I went to our friend's place and they put on a feast. Dude, oh man, Will can cook. I was getting a bit squirrely about breaking my record of just like excellent adhesion to my discipline around my food intake. But that's when it helps to have Audrey, my wife, just give me permission. Someone with a healthier brain than me. She said, look, just eat, enjoy. This is one meal. Relish the food. Relish the company. Enjoy it. So I, I put all of that, because normally what happens is if I eat too much, then I get into this kind of loop of, uh, of shame, and then I feel shameful, and then I want to take the feeling of shame away, so I eat more. I, you know, it's probably relatable to you if you've ever had that going on in your life. So I put all the kind of habitual guilt and shame and self-flagellation about eating too much, just put it to one side and I just enjoyed with a big smile and a full belly, this glory and vegan feast that Will had cooked for us. And every time I felt the pangs of kind of old me kind of creep up, I just looked at how happy it made Will to see me eat and enjoy the food that he'd spent time making and preparing. And I felt my tummy and then I felt how glowing I felt inside enjoying the food and I was okay again. Um, the difference is that I used to gorge myself like that nearly every meal. This time around, it's just one meal with great company and great conversation. And afterwards, we took um, their little kid. He's about four and a half, five years old. We, we took their kid for a little scooter and a stroll after lunch to kind of help the digestion move forward. But they live near the Sydney Harbour foreshore, so we walked down to the water. And I let the digestion kind of work its way through. And I was just awash with just the surge of glycogen and, and the, the feeling of, you know, all the barley that had been baked into the stuffed capsicums. Man, it was so good. Just the nourishment of the food that I'd eaten was just like filling my body. It was really good, dude. It was really good. Now, I know that this week I'll put in an extra couple of hours on the bike. It was worth it. I guess in the interest of accountability, I also have to tell you one other thing. Um, I've call myself avoiding again. There's a few things that I've been putting off and the more I put them off, the bigger they get, the scarier they get, the badder they get every hour, every day that I put them off. And so this morning I wrote them all down. <laughs> I'm shit scared to tell you this. This morning I wrote them all down and the interests of getting them done and therefore taking away their power over me, I'm telling you too that I will have every one of them done by the time we speak next week. Accountability is the key to habit change. It's what's worked for me when I got sober. It's what worked for me when I was sick. And it's going to work for me now. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to... Uh, you know, like I told you the other week, you know, if the, the, the more I put something off, the bigger and scarier it gets. So just go, okay, that's big and scary, but I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. So I'm telling you now that I'm going to do it. So I better bloody do it. <laughs> Uh, speaking of eating food, I am very, very grateful that a lot of people resonated with the conversation I had with Simon Hill the other week. If you want to dig a little deeper into the world of plant-based nutrition, you may want to check out the Fraser Bailey episode, which is a few episodes earlier, and, and see how you go from there. Eating plants is great. makes me feel great. It'll make you feel great too. I know it. I know it will. 
Uh, Simon brought a bunch of new listeners, which I'm, I'm stoked about. Welcome, if you're new. Glad to have you here. Plenty of people sent me pictures of them listening to the episode, um, wherever they were around the world, around the country. Super cool. Always get a kick out of that. You can always just send me a photo, send us your email at gmail.com or just tag me on Instagram. Just show me where you listen. I love to share that this show is a part of people's lives because podcasts are such a part of my life. You know, they're with me when I do the dishes. They're with me when I'm doing my laundry. They're with me uh, when I drive. Listening to podcasts is a special time for me. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm really honored that hopefully I'm a, a special part of your week as well. What's rad is I've got these new hearing aids. I'm filming this. I've got these new hearing aids and they've got Bluetooth in them so I can walk around in the shops and no one knows that I'm listening to podcasts. It's pretty sick. Um, so hopefully hopefully the conversations that I have are a, a special time of the week for you because they're a very special time of the week for me to make them. I really enjoy the connection that I have with people who definitely uh, you know, take the time out of their day to be on the podcast and come to the house and have a conversation. And today is, today is a special one. My guest today is Melissa Ambrosini. She is an author, a podcaster, and a motivational speaker. You can find her on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-A-M-B-R-O-S-I-N-I. Yes. <laughs> her first book, which you've probably heard of, Mastering Your Mean Girl, was an absolute hit, and she's just released a second book. It's called Open Wide. Look, we might not all be authors. We might not all be motivational speakers like her. We might not all reinvent ourselves and work very hard and study very hard to become an authority on self-help and self-love like Melissa, but all of us have been at rock bottom. And Melissa's story of how she came to be at rock bottom and how she came back from a place of true darkness and peril, it's a story that will absolutely move you. Now, this one does get quite emotional, but it's okay it has a happy ending, but I've got to thank Melissa for being brave enough to open up and allow herself to to experience those emotions as she told me about that time in her life because I know it'll resonate with you because it resonated with me and we've all been where she is. And again, you know, we're not alone. We all have similar experiences and by sharing how we got through them, we can all get through them a little better. Melissa has a great podcast. It's a superb listen. You can find it where you found this podcast. Just search for The Melissa Ambrosini Show. That's what it is. She has fantastic people on, fantastic guests. You'll really dig it. If you like this episode, get online. Let her know online. My guests always get a kick out of getting feedback from you. So let's not waste any time. Settle in for a tale of coming into the light out of the darkness with Melissa Ambrosini. Thank you for coming, Melissa. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here on this uh, Thursday. Yeah, I think it's Thursday. It'll be Monday when people listen to this. Yeah, it all meshes into one anyway. It does. <laughs> it doesn't it even does. matter. Thanks, thanks for coming around. Um, we've been waiting to this for a, a while, so long that you've written another book. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I've yeah. got two out now. Yeah, I apologise. I had to wolf my lunch down. If you see bits of lettuce or spring onion in my teeth, just just do let me know. It's okay. We're clear. I'm probably the same. Okay, you got it. You got it. So tell me, are you 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 are you from this part of the world? I was born and bred in Brisbane. Yeah, you and me both. What part? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the south side, a suburb called Mansfield. Oh yeah. Do you know where were you born? 
uh, I was born in London, uh, and then came to Adelaide, and then uh, we did. Uh, I did most of my growing up in Kenmore, but most of it in Chapel Hill. But then lived for a long time in uh, Cooparoo and Cornubia. I went to school in Cooparoo. I went to Loretto College. Down the road from my old house. There yeah. you have it. What school did you go to? Brisbane. Boom, the second question. <laughs> uh, you get two guesses. Churchy? Nah. Uh, it's interesting you go straight for a private school. Yeah. No, uh, Brisbane said hi. No, but I threw you with that. that yeah, uh, no, no, no. Terrace. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah there my, you go. My brother went to lorries. Yeah. Gosh. Do you ever go back there? Uh, yeah, all the time. I'm, I'm one of four. Mm-hmm. So number one and number four live up there mm-hmm. and dad's still up there. And I worked on I worked back on B105 there for the last well, last year. Um, I'd finished up there. I'd done two years at B105, so I was there. Well, it's hit 105 now. Uh, but, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I was back there, back there quite a bit. What was it like um, at Loretto? What kind of kid were you at Loretto? Well, I was a bit of a rat bag yeah. until year 11 and 12, and then I realised that I needed to kind of pull my head in and really study if mm. I wanted to get good marks. What does rat bag look like? Just naughty. Didn't want to study, just wanted to go out and go to the parties and go to the dances and kiss the boys. But I realized that if I needed, if I wanted to do well academically, I needed to put some effort in and actually study. And I did in year 11 and 12 and I got really great marks and I was so proud of myself for actually doing that. How did that message get into your head about the academic thing? I don't know, actually. Oh, no, actually, that's not true. My older sister, who was very academic, um, she is a chartered accountant for a big bank here, and um, she she kind of drilled it into me, the importance of it, even though I grew up being a dancer. So for those that have read my first book, they'll know a bit about my story. I was a performer, so I started dancing when I was three and then did acting and TV presenting and um, singing and musicals and all that stuff. And so I never, I guess my sister probably saw that I probably wasn't going to go down that route, but she's like, it's really important that you get, you know, good grades just in case you do want to go to university. And I applied for a Bachelor of Business at QUT and majored in, wanting to major in marketing and I got accepted. Um, My OP, which is your final results for those that don't know what we're talking about. um, I think they, what do they call it here? Um, Uh, Yeah. Your HSC, HSC mark, yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Um, VCE in Victoria. Yes. Yeah. So that final mark allowed me to get into the best university wow. in Queensland and I was so happy but I never really wanted to go. I always yeah. wanted to perform. Yeah. Um, so I moved as soon as I finished year 12. I was 17 because you're 17 in, in Brisbane and I moved to Sydney because I wanted to be a performer and I went to um, – a school called Brent Street and I did some acting at NIDA mm. and I wanted to be a performer. That's just what I wanted. I just right. wanted to be on the stage. I loved performing and I loved that feeling of just expressing yourself through dance and movement and, mm. and voice. And I did that for a year and then I went on, um, I got accepted into the Moulin Rouge in Paris. Damn. And I went and danced at the Moulin Rouge. Holy moly. How did you even find out about that place? So they come to – every dancer knows about the Moulin Rouge. 
I am not a dancer. My stepdaughter's a dancer. I am not a dancer. But you've heard of the Moulin Rouge. Yeah? Of course. Yeah, I knew yeah, about yeah. it before the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before the movie. Exactly. Like if you didn't know about it, the movie definitely yeah. brought it to light. And so I, um, every year, once a year, they come to Australia to audition. And there was about 500 girls there and they took about five of us and I got accepted which was amazing and as a dancer like that is the pinnacle it's just like the creme de la creme of of performing and so at 20 I packed up and I moved to Paris and now thinking back I'm like my parents are just crazy like I can't believe I did that and I lived in Paris for a year and I danced there and I did some modeling and things like that and then after that, I moved to London because I went over there to visit my sister who was currently living there and I fell in love with the West End and I went and saw a Wicked on the West End and I just was like, I want to move here. So as soon as my, my contract finished it in Paris, I moved to London and I did acting there and I did a little BBC TV show called The Cut and I did some TV presenting and dancing and I loved it. Lived there for two years, had a ball. Then my visa expired and I was devastated, like absolutely devastated and had to move home. And I knew, as you know, as a performer, the industry here is not as big as LA or New York or London. And so I'd always kind of had in the back of my head that when I was going to move back to Australia, that's when I was kind of going to step away from the performing, but it was very premature. I didn't realize it was going to be two years after I just got there. And I moved back uh, and I was devastated. Um, at the time I was Back dating, to Brisbane? Well, um, yes, only for like two weeks and then I moved uh, back to Hang Sydney. on, the other time you were dating someone? In, in London. Oh. So we had to break up and I was devastated. And at this time in my life, I was really lost, really lost. I was very, I was just partying, drinking, taking drugs, really lost trying to find myself. I felt like I just didn't know who I was. Were you 20, 26? No, I was 24. 24. 24. And I'm guessing you were the cute little four-year-old in a tutu at dance school. Yeah. So the only thing you've ever known or loved or done or known how to do or been good at yep. for 20 straight years has now vanished. Yep. That's going to fuck anyone up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Like I came back from dancing on the West End and at the Moulin Rouge to dancing in shopping centres again and I was just like, whoa, how the hell did I get here? What the F has happened? And I just spiralled into a deep, dark depression. Um, I was dealing with anxiety and panic attacks and eating issues and medicated for depression. Then I wasn't sleeping, so I was medicated for sleeping. And my health was just falling apart. I didn't know anything about health like I do now. I was just eating junk food, fast food, whatever. When you dance that amount, you can eat whatever you want. That's what I, that's what I told myself. Yeah. And literally when I was at the Moulin Rouge, we lived off sugar. It was just lollies and sugar to keep us going. We How many shows a day? Two shows a night, six nights a week. So Bloody that's hell. 12 shows. So that's and like nothing but carbohydrate. Otherwise, you can't get through it. Totally. Yeah. And not only that, you start work at 6 p.m. Your first show is 9. Your second show is 11 p.m. You don't walk out of there until 2 in the morning. 
then I'd finally kind of wind down at about four in the morning and then you sleep until midday, like two, 12 o'clock, one o'clock. So your whole body is yeah. just completely screwed up. And yeah, so my health was just completely deteriorating. I had a whole host of health issues, autoimmune issues, chronic fatigue, thyroid problems. I was getting eczema and hives all over my body. I had acne. Like my body was just crying out for some nourishment. And I was drinking and partying late nights, surrounding myself with really toxic relationships. I was just so lost. And I actually ended up in hospital. So I knew something wasn't quite right. And I literally grabbed my handbag and got in a taxi and went to the airport. And I said to my mum and dad, I'm coming home. Can you pick me up from the airport in two hours? I just flew. This is from hospital? No, this is from Sydney. Okay. I just knew something wasn't right within me. And I got off the plane there and I literally just collapsed in my mum's arms. And she took me to hospital and I was in hospital for a week with a whole host of health issues that I talk about in the book, you know, just so many different things. So not only was I physically so unwell, my immune system was shutting down. I was dealing with all this mental, you know, the anxiety, Mm. the depression, the panic attacks, all of that stuff. And I was in hospital for a week and it was the darkest and hardest time of my entire life. Like it was so challenging, so challenging. And (sighs) why was it a challenge? I just hated myself. I just hated myself. I hated what was unfolding in my life. Like I really hated it. And I was like, why me? God, why me? Like, why is this happening to me? And it was very, very challenging. And I had this friend at the time, a new friend that had just come into my life and they were in Sydney. There was three of them that I'd just kind of met at a yoga class, actually, as you do. And they sent me a care package to the hospital in Brisbane. And in that care package was a book that changed my life. And that was Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life. And I was reading it in the hospital bed, like just soaking up everything. And I turned to my mom and I'm like, mom, why haven't you taught me this? Like, why didn't you tell me that we create our own reality and that we can live a life? Like, we are the masters of our destiny, that we're manifesting everything that's unfolding in our life. Like, why didn't you tell me this? And she would just look at me and she's like, Melissa, like, I'm doing the best I can. Like, I had no idea. And bless her, she was. And both my parents are. And and I love them so dearly. And they have done an amazing job. They've done the best that they can. And this book literally changed my life. So toward the end of being in hospital, I realized that there was this tiny glimmer of hope, even though it was a really challenging time, this little something inside me. And I didn't know what it was, but now in hindsight, I do. It was my intuition. And it said, if you get healthy and happy again, you'll live a remarkable life. And I was like, what's the other option? Like there is no alternative. The suffering is boring the shit out of me. The suffering is so painful. I'm done. I'm so done. 
and I'm at rock bottom and I've got to get up. And I made it my mission to get happy and healthy again. And I had no idea how to do it. Mm. I was just like, that is my mission. That is my purpose. So the lowest hanging fruit for me was my health. I knew, okay, I've got to go and sort that out. So I went on and studied holistic nutrition and I became like a certified holistic health coach. But I really first just did it for myself. Like I wanted to understand about the body and the different body types and all of these different mm. how our body works. I'd never been taught this. I was taught the food pyramid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah. The food, the food pyramid is something that, it, yeah, how the food pyramid showed up is, is a, yeah. Can I just ask just one second? As someone who's, who's been at rock bottom, could you describe, because you, can you talk to me about, who you blame on the way down to rock bottom oh. and where, you know, where that blame ends up. Mm. I blamed my parents a lot. I'm so stuffed up because of you. I blamed them a lot. I blamed myself, but mainly my parents mm. and I've done a lot of healing mm. on that and that relationship because ultimately they were doing the best that they yeah, they No, there's no – there really it's no – even with with every mummy blogger on the face of the earth, there really is still no instruction manual. There really is. No. Because every kid's different. But I, I guess, you know, certainly in my experience, I don't know if it's the same as you, the the my situation is my situation because of you, 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 this, that, this, that all the way down and this just gets longer and longer and longer and longer and longer and longer until there's finally one moment where you go, I'm in this situation because of me. Totally. I chose my shitty accountant. I chose my shitty manager. I chose to stay in that relationship. I chose to pursue that job. I chose to not pursue things that would line up after that. I chose to hang around and fool around on the internet rather than, you know, be writing or creating. I chose all of those things. You know, it's, it's that. And it's when that clicks, you go, oh, fuck. I know. <laughs> but as you mentioned, in that moment of choice, you're like even though it's a moment of desperation, it's in my experience at least, even though it's a moment of true desperation, and I was literally and figuratively on my knees at the time, I was like, well, I can choose to not do what I just did again. I can choose to not do the thing that led me to do that I just did again. I can choose to do something different. I don't know what that different is, but I can choose a different thing to do the next time that that situation shows up. Even if that is don't do anything, just don't do the thing you normally do. <laughs> totally. And, and it's, you know, something I realised was every time you point the finger at someone else to yeah. blame them, there's three uh, pointing yeah. right back at yeah. you. And I realized that. Like in the hospital, I was like, I am responsible for getting myself here and I am the only one that can get myself out. And that's why I made it my mission yeah. to get healthy and happy again. It was my, my purpose in life. Mm. And I just went for it. And like I said, I went on and studied holistic nutrition because I wanted to understand about the body. Mm -hmm. 
And I started this thing. This was at the very end of 2010, start of 2011. I started this thing called a blog. You know what of them? So this was back before they were really, really popular. Now mm. everyone has one. Um, I started a blog and I started sharing what I was learning. Mm-hmm. And realizing. As you were learning it. Yeah. So as you were sharing your discoveries yeah. as they were being discovered to you. Pretty much. Yeah. And and more so like almost like I'd go through it, I'd realize it, and then I'd share it more so. Like mm. so I'd just gone through it. Yeah. Um, I was sharing what I was learning about my relationship with myself and my body and the realizations and taking ownership for how I'm showing up in the world. And my health started to dramatically improve, which is amazing. Like I started to feel vital and healthy and happy again, which was awesome. And I began coaching people and I felt this real sense of purpose Mm. in my life that I'd never felt before. What was the turning point when it came to you? Yeah, not everyone can have the time or, you know, ability to study holistic nutrition. What was the turning point for you when it came to to when you started feeling better? What was the... What was the moment? There wasn't. It was kind of like when I started feeling better, it was more like a gradual mm. process. It was very, um, it was a slow process. But was it a deliberate introduction of things into your diet? Yeah. Such as? Oh, cutting out gluten, cutting out dairy, cutting out sugar, um, eating vegetables, no processed food, just basic stuff. Like mm-hmm. that everyone should know. Yeah. Drinking clean water. I stopped drinking alcohol. So this was at the end of 2010. I have not had a sip of alcohol in almost eight years. Not a sip. You and me both, but we came at that from different angles, let me tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that for me, it was like I needed to just get well and, and yeah. the doctor was like, you can't party anymore. And I was like, what? I can't party anymore? How can you say that to me? But I just wanted to get well. And um, so I stopped drinking. And the first few months was a little bit challenging because you have everyone going, why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you Mm. drinking? And then they just get over it. And no one ever says anything to me ever. Mm. Well, I'm very rarely around drinkers, you know. A lot of my friends don't drink. Yeah, once once you you make that shift in your life, you start to reevaluate some certain relationships. You're like, I really called that guy because when I called him, he didn't mind if we started drinking martinis at three in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, we never really had much to talk about, did we? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. But it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, what you said, like it's, like you said it's pretty basic and it's also available to everyone. It's not some sort of miracle cure that you have to sign up to some rampant delivery service that's only available in metropolitan areas for this key to success. It's like don't eat processed foods, eat more vegetables, eat more fruits and vegetables, try not to eat so much sugar, maybe think about the alcohol, drink lots of water. Mm. Pretty basic. I know. Transformative. Transformative. (laughs) And then so that kind of, that journey went on for a little while and then I realised that it wasn't just about what I put in my mouth, it's Mm. what was going on in between my ears. Yeah. That really was needed to be addressed. Um, 
which is where my first book, Mastering Your Mean Girl, came from. So I call your inner mean girl that voice inside your head for you, your bad boy. Hmm. Basically, you can call it your ego, your shadow self, your inner critic, whatever you want to call it. And that's the voice that says you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you'll never get the job, you'll never meet the guy, you'll never get out of debt, who do you think you are, no one's going to buy the book, you're crap, you're shit, whatever. We can all relate to that voice. And so I wanted to understand this more. So I went on and also studied life coaching because I wanted to really help people in this area. And I went on and I read every single spiritual text I could get my hands on, every personal development book I could get my hands on. I went and did my yoga teacher training, studied meditation, studied acuenergetics, which is like energy healing. Jesus, work. you went the full Bondi. Holy I shit. I just went for it. It's like weaponized Bondi. I love it. Totally, I love it. <laughs> totally. I just went for it because I. But you studied. That's the most important thing for me is that yeah. you studied. You didn't just start an Instagram account and no. went, oh, you should do this. You're like, no, I just went, I went and did a lot of work. <laughs> it was a lot totally. of homework, a lot of assignments. <laughs> a lot. <of laughs> so work. important. It's so important. It's so important. Yeah. And, and I learned a lot. Like I went to every spiritual and personal development seminar that came to Sydney mm. and read every book from these amazing mentors like Tony Robbins and Dr. John D. Martini and Bruce Lipton. And I just, I wanted to immerse myself in their teachings because not only was I starting to feel physically better, I was starting to feel happy again and experience this thing called inner peace and contentment that uh -huh. I'd never felt before. I'd never felt that before. Did you find just, I'm asking just to see if this has anything to do with my personal experience. Did you approach anything like that when you were on stage? When you were in those performance moments, did you approach anything that came close to that? No. No. It's different. Okay. So different. Um, actually, you know what? Like being a dancer, and I don't know if this is the same for you, but what I loved about it was you're so present. Mm -hmm. You can't be dancing, singing, and acting on stage and thinking about what so-and-so said to you four hours later earlier you know like you i think that's what i loved about performing was you're so present mm. you're just there and you're getting to create the creativity side of things but also the present side of things but i feel like everything i did up until i hit rock bottom in hospital was dress rehearsal <laughs> for what i was really meant to do <laughs> yeah true in this world yeah which is inspire and help women unlock their full potential and be the best version of themselves. That is my purpose. Mm. That is my mission. And I do that through my books, my podcasts, my speaking, all of my online programs and products, my meditations, everything like the TV presenting, the acting, the dancing, the performing, that has all given me the confidence to stand on a stage and give a keynote talk about mastering your mean girl to 5,000 people. Mm. And I'm so grateful. Um, that I had all of that training, I guess, to be able to do what it is that I feel so passionate about. And this is my purpose on earth. Like I know deep in my bones that this is why I'm here. It lights me up so much. And I am so grateful that I've had this journey and I'm grateful that I got my wake up call at 24 because a lot of people don't get it till they're a lot older. You know, some people don't get it 
and that's their journey. But I'm grateful I got mine at 24 because it put me on my path early and I've had an extraordinary journey. It hasn't been rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. Heck no. It's been massive growth and huge evolution. And I'm still on my journey. I'm Mm. still you know, discovering things and I'm still um, mastering my own inner mean girl, but I'm getting stronger and stronger at it every day because I'm so deeply committed to my work and deeply committed to myself. I'm committed to showing up as the best version of me so that I can help others. That's why we're here. When you are doing the coaching and when, is there a, I mean, the people that come to find you, uh, I guess they're almost they're a self-selecting bunch because they've realised I need to make a change. I'm going to so- seek someone that could help. Do you find a common thread among those women? Yeah, there's common threads. Mm-hmm. You know, usually um, they have a very loud inner mean girl that's telling them that they're not good enough, that they're not worthy of the job, the guy, the health. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not worthy of living a life that they aspire to have, you know. So they come to my podcast or my books or my website and they're, they know that there's more. They just want a little bit of hand-holding and guidance on how to make it happen. And that's my role is to hold their hand and help them along the journey because I've been through it. How do you realise that the mean girl, mean girl or, or bad boy, as you describe it, is inside you? Because for a lot of people, it's that concept, there's two concepts that it can be very difficult for people to understand is that this is happening because I made a choice at some point that has caused this to happen. And that can be very confronting, especially if it's like I lost my house and, you know, my wife left and, you know, I've got no job. Um, to accept that there were choices that you made and that path is d- difficult, all right? So that's a really tough one. The other really tough one is to, when you talk about the mean girl or the or the, the, the mean boy, is to understand that uh, to, to be in the observance of those thoughts is a very, very tricky thing for some people to master. How would you maybe help people understand that there is uh, there is the thinking you and then there's the observing you? How, would you, mm. how do you normally walk people into that space? Well, the first step to any sort of transformation or change is awareness. And so you have to become aware of what is going on with that dialogue. And there is only two voices. Some people think there's like 50. There's only two. There's the fear in your mind and then there's your heart, your intuition, the one that's like, "Mm, you know, follow that. That's your truth. So there's not 50 decisions. And so what I really encourage everyone to do is to whip out a pen and paper and to write down every fear-based limiting belief that is currently playing round and round on your mental mixtape, going round and round. And sometimes they have been going for like 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years that you believe them to be true, but they're not. They're not true. Like they're actually not. Everything that we tell ourselves is a story, a good story or a bad story, whatever, but they're stories. And we tend to believe them, but they're not who we are. 
And so becoming aware of your stories is the first step. Awareness is key because once you're aware, then you can change. Can you give us an example of a fairly common story? There's a couple that's come to mind um, in a few major areas of your life, but a really common one is I'll never meet the guy. Oh, I won't find my soulmate. He's not out there. Don't exist. There's no conscious men out there. Have you heard that one before? There's no conscious men. There's no conscious women out there. I hear that a lot. There's no good men. There's no good women. There's no conscious. I'm never going to meet them. That's, that's a story. And as long as you keep telling yourself that story, you are keeping it alive. So until you rewrite the story, nothing's going to shift. When you have that story, are you able to see things that don't fit into that story? When you're telling yourself that story, it's not until someone maybe points it out that you go, oh, my God, I've been telling. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Myself that story over and over again for maybe decades that you can then see. Um, but some people can see it. Like I sometimes catch myself going, oh, that's funny. I was just telling myself this story that I couldn't afford X or I'm not going to heal from this. Or I told my story. Sometimes I tell myself a story about, oh, she didn't text me back, which means she's angry at me. Like that's a story. You don't actually know that that's true. It's a load of BS, like mm. seriously. So becoming aware of these stories that we tell ourselves on a daily basis is paramount to your transformation. Sometimes, uh, do you, have you ever watched the show Westworld? No. Oh, Westworld, uh, the, the premise of Westworld is it's a, it's a theme park for grown-ups that involves um, artificial intelligent, uh, uh, I guess you'd call them avatars, or yep. robots for a better word, that are extraordinarily humanly lifelike, okay? And the arc of the show is that they start to become sentient, okay? It's extraordinary. However, I won't spoil anything by saying one of them has a, a deep, deep, deep line of code that prevents them from seeing a door that leads to backstage, if you will, um, where they all get repaired so their reality can't um, accept that, oh, there's a door right there. And so there's a moment where oh, I'll just go through that door, Jenny. She goes, there's a wall there. There's a door right there. There's a wall there. All right. And what you're describing about story uh, is she simply cannot see it. And the other character's like, it's fucking... And that's when the <laughs> other character realises, oh, she's a robot. I thought she was a human. Um, so... What you're describing with a story, in, in, in my experience, is that if your story is 
strong enough. And it, and it possibly, if it's been there since you were four or five or seven, it can actually prevent you from seeing the very thing that you think isn't there. So when that conscious guy or conscious girl or job or financial opportunity shows up, you actually can't see it. Mm-hmm. it and you pass it by and then it goes, well, of course, he went away or she went away or it went away because there are no blah, 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 blah. Totally. Yeah? It just validates. Yeah. It just and valid- around you go again. Around you go again until we, and you'll get the lesson again. So how do you break the cycle? It is about conscious awareness. You've got to be willing. I guess the pain's got to be bad enough. Hmm. And that's for me, the pain was bad enough at that rock bottom point for me yeah. to want to make a change. That's the interesting thing that mm. you really, in a, in a, in a, it couldn't be more physically manifested as in the fear of what was going to come next was less than the fear of if I stay in Sydney, I'm going to go on a limp here. Well, listen, I'm going to say that you were like, if I stay in Sydney, I'm going to fucking die. Mm. This only ends one way. Mm. I'm guessing that's where you got to. Oh, totally. It was like, what is the alternative? Mm. It's pretty bad. Yeah. And so I had one of two options. And I thank goodness it wasn't the second option. Mm. You know, I'm so glad it wasn't because my life now is beyond my wildest dreams. Mm. I could never have imagined this, what I get to do, where I get to live on the beach. You know, I'm married to my soulmate. I get to do work that deeply fulfills me. I experience inner peace and contentment. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm vital. Like if you had have told me all this, I would have like spat out my vodka. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, you are... You are someone who still has that mean girl voice, that that is, let me get this right, like that is a part of being human Mm. is to understand that that voice exists and it probably will. Our entire existence exists. Totally. Even like the Dalai Lama has an ego. Everyone has an ego. If we didn't, if I was enlightened, I would have levitated out of this body by now. But I'm not. I'm sitting here across the table from you. Yeah. There's still more for me to learn in this physical realm. And although I have definitely mastered my mango, I'm still mastering her. It's like the piano. You know, if you want to learn how to master the piano, you got to practice every day. You know, and it's like any muscle, the more you practice and strengthen it, the more you go and do your squats at the gym, the tighter your booty is going to get. The more you practice mastering your mean girl, the stronger your booty is going to get. It's like anything. The more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. Once you get from the there are no conscious guys, no conscious girls, once you make that leap and then you do find that person and you are in that relationship – Does everything suddenly get better? Oh, this is the biggest illusion of them all. So many people think that once I meet my soulmate, it'll be rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. Uh Uh-uh. Like my husband is my biggest teacher. He's my mirror. He is going to reflect back to me any area that I'm not being truthful within myself He is my shiniest mirror. Marrying him, we always say, was the hardest and easiest thing we've ever done. And when you enter a conscious partnership, um, 
which I'm so glad I am in, there is nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide. Like I can't be average. I can't hang out in fear town with my inner critic. He'll pull me up on it. He will call me to rise. He can see if I'm hanging out in fear, suffering, and he'll be like, what's going on? Get up, get out. No suffering in this right now. You know, he can hear, he can see if I'm hanging out with my main girl and he will call me to step up. And that's what I think is so beautiful about being in a conscious partnership where you're both. And when I say conscious, I'm, I mean, you're both willing to do the work on yourselves so that you can be the best version of yourself for yourself and for each other. And you're a team. And I think the illusion that you meet your lover, and I talk about this in my second book, Open Wide, the illusion that it's all going to be rainbows and butterflies is just you've got to pop that because it's not the case. Um, Your soulmate or your one or your lover, whatever you want to call it, they're there to complement you not complete you. They're the cherry on top of your already delicious gluten-free. Are you saying brownie. Tom Cruise was lying? <laughs> Are you saying Tom Cruise is lying and Jerry Maguire? There is no complete me? No. It's they're the, they're the compliment. They're the cherry on top. You're already freaking amazing and delicious on your own. You don't need anyone to fill a void in you because you have no voids. You are two whole, complete, full beings. They're just epic to hold hands through life with. And that's how I see my partner. Like he is an epic teammate. He's like my favorite teammate. And I love holding hands with him through life. I love being his biggest cheerleader. He loves being mine. Um, But where are the cherry on top? You know, he's away at the moment. He's in Nepal um, building a hospital at the moment. Natch. Of course he is. So Bondi to say something like that, isn't it? I just caught myself going. So great, though. So Bondi. So great. But he's in Nepal for 10 days. I packed him up with turmeric lattes and (laughs) cashew milk just to be sure that he'd be fine. No, seriously, I did. Yeah, no, of course you did. It's fine. Don't worry about it. (laughs) He's got his vegan protein powder. He's got all that. That's the best ever. Um, But, you know, people have said to me, oh, do you miss him? And I was like, I'm just present. Uh, like we haven't even really spoken and we've had a few little voice messages, but like everyone's like, oh, don't you miss him? Aren't you sad? I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just in the moment. Mm. I'm just here with you mm. and then I'm doing something else. And But that hasn't always been the case for me. Like when I, in past relationships, like if I was away from a partner, I was like, oh, my heart is ripping out of my chest. And now I'm just like, I'm just with whoever or whatever is going on right in front of me. And for most of my life, I didn't know how to be present. You know, I I watched my mum people please and do a million things at once. And so for me, the concept of being present was something that I really had to remember because we're born into this world, beautiful, perfect, whole little present beings, but then we lose that. And so it's something I had to really remember and I learned that a lot through meditation. It's been game changer for me, mm. especially with anxiety and panic attacks. Like it's whew, it's been a massive game changer and one of the best tools that anyone listening can do, you know, even just sitting and focusing your attention on your breath for five minutes every morning before you get out of bed will change your day. It will. It'll, it'll, 
it'll absolutely absolutely change your life. The, I'm sure many people listening though that have that relationship and find great comfort in. I miss her so much. Oh, I'm, I can't go out tonight because I just I want to stay home. I don't feel right going out without her. What do we get out of that? We surely get something out of feeling that way about our lover when they're not there. Yeah, I guess for different people, maybe they get out of it like a sense of um, worthiness, like a sense of, yes, yeah, satisfaction, knowing that someone else needs them and they need you. It's like a lot of my past relationships, I filled voids in them and they filled voids in me. But when you enter a partnership with that as the intent, it has an expiration date because one of you is going to fill that void sooner or later and then you won't need it anymore. And so that's, I learned that the hard way, dating lots of guys that filled voids in me. I filled voids in them. They like to save women. I wanted to be saved. So it was perfect. Tell me about that. That's a common one. Yeah. It's a real common one for women. The wounded bird. The wounded bird. We want to be saved. Save me. Scoop me up, Prince Charming. Scoop me up. Take care of me. Look after me. You know, and a lot of men love playing the saviour. That's, you know, what we've seen in movies, what we've been conditioned to witness through marketing and advertising and, you know, all of the fairy tales that we watch growing up. But I would love to see, you know, these fairy tales that are just about two whole and complete people mm. that just choose because they want to be in a partnership together. So are you saying that you had been in relationships where you were almost, uh, you were the hospital in the pool? You were the one that they were working hard on to, 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 to bring up. And then those, do those relationships, when the person that has the wounding in the relationship finds the healing, what then basis does the relationship have? Exactly. And it just dissolves either tumultuously or amicably. But, yeah, you know, there's no more desire for that relationship. Right. So it kind of falls away. And that's what happened in a lot of my past relationships. Did you find the converse was true once you started to go on this adventure and wanting to evangelize about, oh, my God, look, I'm eating so much lettuce. Everything's amazing. Come, guy who's down the Beach Road Hotel being a philanderer. Come and I'll take you to my yoga class and everything will be fine. Oh, yeah. Did you do a bit of that? I did do a little bit of that. Um, not only with partners but with my family members. Ah. Yeah. I learned that the hard way too. Um, not so much friends um, but mainly my parents. I was like, you've got to eat kale. You've got to meditate. You've got to start doing yoga. You know, and I really tried to shove quinoa down their throat. But I realized something, and I talk about this in both of my books, is we cannot fix, change, or improve anyone. All we can do is to inspire someone else is to be the example. You can lead a horse to the water, but you cannot make it drink. And I learned that the hard way because it really did. Um, there was a couple of years that my parents and I didn't really talk. It was really hard. It was really hard. We just butt heads and they were like, Melissa, stop trying to change us. We feel that we're not good enough. 
And that really pulled on my heartstrings. It was really hard to hear. And now I just, you know, almost eight years in, I still just inspire them with how I am. I don't try, you know, I'll occasionally send them a documentary I think is really great. Do they watch it? No, they don't watch it. But, you know, when they come to my house for dinner, I cook how I cook and they love it. And they're like, this is beautiful and it's all organic and it's delicious and healthy. And they're like, this is so beautiful. And they might take little things from it, but, you know, we cannot try and fix change or improve anyone. And same with our kids. Can't do it. All you can do is inspire. You know, I have tried to, you know, really shove broccoli down Leo's throat. This is your stepson. This is my stepson. Yeah, I call him my bonus son and he's 12. And yeah, I mean, I've read a lot of parenting books. I've read a, read a lot of conscious parenting books. I've read um, The Conscious Parent and The Awakened Family, which are two really great books. And we have to remember as parents that the child is their own divine sovereign being. And they have their own journey and it's our role to be their guardian, but it's not our role to control them. And I think a lot of people step into parenting and they're like, yay, goody, something I can control because we're all control freaks. We want to control everything. And a lot of our stuff in our life, we can't control. So then we get a child and we're like, yes, we can control them. But, you know, I'm constantly, my mantra is, let go of control, Melissa. Let go of control. It doesn't matter that he didn't eat all his broccoli. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let it go. Open wide. Let it go. You know, surrender. But you have a, you do have a role to protect that kid of course. from their own choices that may not be taking them in the most safe of directions. Of course. Of course. Yes, we do. Absolutely. And we can shape and we can inspire with the way that we are. You know, and of course, in our house, there is no processed food. So he has no choice. There is no junk. There's nothing like that. You know, in our house, we have certain ways of being. And we just have to trust that that's enough. You know, that we're doing enough. And that his soul is on its own journey. Um, and I've really had to let go of control around the parenting thing. So he's almost... You know, and I'm facing this, my, you know, stepdaughters, like at some point they want to go hang out down the mall way more than they want to be with you. At some point they're going to start, you know, asking about doing exactly what you did in high school and you know what you did in high school. Where does this philosophy come into, control, come into play there? I guess you just literally have to practice what I talk about in Open Wide, which is CCC, Crystal Clear Communication. And we really have tried to practice this with Leo for years since I came into his life. It's something that we really are very mindful of is not um, dumbing things down for him and not sugarcoating things. I grew up with my parents always pushing things under the carpet and almost dumbing things down. I remember like asking my mum, oh, what, what's going on or what's that? And she just like, even though I knew what had happened, like because I overheard a conversation, she would just tell me a whole different story, like almost like dumb it down for me. And I'm like, I'm like, hang on, like you're actually telling me that you think I can't handle that conversation or whatever. So if Leo says, oh, what was that? I'll turn to him and say, oh, 
well, you know, our friend, she's going through a divorce at the moment and um, it's really hard and he's wanting to fight her for all of the money. So they're in court at the moment and it's quite tumultuous and, you know, the kids are getting a little bit upset and unsaid. Like I just speak to him. Mm. I just tell him the truth. Yeah. Like I don't dumb anything down for him. I don't sugarcoat anything. So you have to practice crystal clear communication. And I don't know what's going to happen with Leo in high school. I don't know. I don't know what path he's going to go on. But all Nick and I can do is continuously educate and be the example of what we hope to instill within him. That's all we can do. You know, if we want him to have a beautiful relationship with his soulmate one day, we've got to be the example. We've got to practice crystal clear communication so that he can practice it with his future girlfriends. We've got to be loved toward each other. We've got to really show each other that we care and that we're a team and that we're united because that is what he's watching every second of every day. He is learning about life through us and his mum, you know? And so we just have to be the best examples that we can be for him and for ourselves as well. So, yeah. Be very difficult, like when I was 14, 15, some of the, the gnarly shit that I was getting up to, it would be very difficult to be like, as you are, around a kid that is putting themselves in peril like I was putting them in. And I am grateful that I had eventually just walls of boundaries put up by my mum going, no, nah, that's not happening now. Mm. No, 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 I'm going to save you from that decision. Mm. And sometimes being loving is firm like your mum and it's saying no, drawing the line, it's getting ground, it's being grounded, it's it's being firm. So right. love doesn't have, like being loving doesn't have to look all fairies and rainbows. Being loving is firm. And Nick is very firm with Leo sometimes, mm. like stern. And Leo's like he'll he'll sit up and he'll take note. So definitely I think with parenting there mm. are times for firmness. Right. But you can still be firm and come from your heart. You can still be because, you know, it's very different from being firm and aggressive and horrible, like a mean person. It's very different. But you can be firm and explain to them through crystal clear communication why you're being firm because that's ultimately what children want and what we all want is we want to feel valued, we want to feel heard, we want to feel respected. Everyone wants those things. But we want to understand you know, we want to know, okay, if you're putting this boundary here in place, why? That's all kids want. They want yeah. to know why. Okay, well, mum's just grounded me for no reason. You know, I'm sure you've heard that. No reason. I did nothing wrong, you know. But when you sit down and you practice crystal clear communication, you say, no, I've put this boundary in because Susie's mum told me that Susie snuck out mm. and she did this. And so I'm being firm because I love you, you know, and it's not sweeping things under the carpet. Yeah. It's about being honest with our children, speaking to them like they are worthy. Yeah. Not not shoving anything under the carpet. Right. You know? Well, I'm, 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 that, that, that's clearer to me. Thank you for, 
indulging me. <laughs> I know I kept at it for a little while. I know I know I clipped at it for a little while. Your your first book was definitely about what to do, like around just yourself. Your second book is very much focused on um, relationships and being in a relationship. What what are some things that people can like do today to to make their relationship kind of a, a little better than it was yesterday? Mm. So. Open wide, uh, the subtitle is A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. And it's not just about your relationship with your beloved. It's about all of your relationships and starting with the most important relationship of all, which is your relationship with yourself. So the whole, the book's broken up into three sections. The whole first section is about you and really having a deep, loving, open relationship with yourself. The second section is about your relationships with others and your friends, your family, and then the third section is about soulful intimacy um, or what I call soulful sex. And one thing that we can all do today for deeper relationships with ourselves and with others is practice crystal clear communication. Like really make it a priority that you're going to practice speaking openly and honestly with others and yourself. It is I grew up in a household constantly telling little white lies. Like it's not, they weren't even a big deal. Like just little things like, um, no, we've got to go at three o'clock when really we don't have to go at until 3.15. You know, my, my parents were constantly telling these little white lies. But what happens when you're constantly just telling these little white lies is it builds up. It's like tartar on your teeth. It, you know, it's going to erode your teeth eventually. And so this concept of crystal clear communication is something that I practice with all of my friends, with my son, with Nick, with my parents, and it can feel really scary sometimes. It's like, oh, no, am I going to get rejected? I feel very vulnerable. I feel my, you know, my heart racing. I feel sweaty and clammy. But if you speak from your truth, your heart, you can never go wrong. Can you give us an example of what uh, like a common thing to say between partners might be and then how it might sound in the way you're describing? Mm. So first of all, I'll say that, you know, this is dialogue that Nick and I say to each other all the time. And if we're in a heated conversation, he might say to me or I might say to him, babes, we're not practicing crystal clear communication right now. So I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to come back. Let's try again. The only time there's ever a relationship breakdown is because one of us has failed to practice crystal clear communication. That's when we butt heads. And so, um, you know, I might say to him, but you did this and we're just very vague and wishy-washy in our delivery. And if I catch myself early enough, I can say, I'm sorry, I, I said that to you. What I should have said was whatever it is. Um, so becoming aware of being truthful in every moment, it's a practice like mastering your inner critic. It's a muscle and it needs to be practiced every single day. And if you have this open conversation with your partner about wanting to be more truthful and honest, you can kind of pull each other up and help each other. Same with Leo. Like I notice we butt heads when there's been not clear communication. 
he'll be like, but you said this. And I'm like, no, I didn't say that. Well, okay, I did say that, but what I should have said was, and I correct myself. And I think that's also really important with children is being really vulnerable and them seeing you fall down or stuff up and then correct yourself is really powerful for the child um, to witness. So, yeah, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but more so if you do notice it, just being really aware of it and pulling each other up and saying, like, Nick will say it to me so often, babes, we're not practicing right now. So I'm going right. to go I'm going to go have a walk, I'm going to go down to the beach. When I come back, when we've both cooled off, let's try again. Let me let me see if I can get it into you this way because I just want to try and get the concept um uh clearer. <laughs> let's say for example, there's something uh quite common. Um uh one partner is on school pickup, the other partner is on um grabbing something from the shops and putting dinner together. Um and then, you know, everything's home and everything's busy and uh, one partner has finished whatever the thing that they had agreed to do and sit there fooling around on the phone and not helping the other one, either getting the kids ready for dinner or bed or helping them dinner get ready, all right? And then someone might say, you know, something to the other. For example, um, I... Uh, you know, I hope Instagram's fucking good because over here I'm trying to, you know, cook dinner or whatever. I'm guessing that's not crystal clear communication. Definitely not. Okay. So what would a, what would a clear communication in that scenario be like? Hey, honey, I would really love if you could come and give me a hand in the kitchen right now. Even though all you want to do is it's grab their phone and throw, throw it, it in the incinerator no. <laughs> <laughs> And bin it. Yeah. Um, you would just say, hey, honey, I would really love it. I'm feeling really exhausted right now. I'm feeling so tired. All I want to do is cry. Um, and this is how a lot of women feel sometimes, especially when it's like five o'clock and you're trying to get dinner ready and you're on your period. You just want to cry sometimes. You might say, hey, yeah, hey, honey, I would really love it if you could come and give me a hand in the kitchen. I know you're sitting there enjoying your Instagram at the moment, but... I would just love it so much. I really would. They're going to be like, okay, cool. Instead of you never help out, you don't do anything, you're lazy. You know, there's such a difference. And don't get me wrong, there's times where I want to react like that, but I catch myself and I pull myself. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, that's it's, Frank. Oh. Frankie, the dog's just showing up. You pull yourself up? <laughs> I pull myself up before it's too late. Yeah. Um, and, and course correct, you know, so that – um, it doesn't end in tears. Oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. Just for a moment. Um, this is my wife, Audrey. Audrey, this is Melissa. Hello. Hi. Sorry to interrupt. No, don't be sorry. Um, okay. We have presents. Thank you. Ah. You got them. I've heard about Master and your Ah. Well, now you can read both of them. Thank you very much. Is, is Open Wide the new one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. So exciting. <laughs> so, so it's like a live Instagram story. I heard about that thing. It's here in your house. I wrote it. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. What time do you have to go, hon? Uh, yeah, I probably should have left a few minutes ago. Okie dokie. School pickup? Passport renewal time. Oh. That's all right. You only have to do it once every 10 years. It's true. Yeah. If you go now, you won't get a lot of people in the post office. But you've got to commit to that photo. 
Yeah, got to commit. I know. Got to commit hard or just, <laughs> or just taking a cracker. It's going to be great. Nice. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know anyone that looks great in their passport or license photo. I know. I know. Not allowed to smile. I know. I know. You know what? No matter how you look in your passport and license photo, when it comes time to renew it again, it'll be 10 years from now. You look back and go, I when really was I ever that young and thin? I know. And I had no wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> no bags. No bags. Oh, man. Oh, man. Mine is just... <laughs> <laughs> Mine is just this lost look of the, you know, I was still drinking. It was just like this vague look in my eye running from one thing to the other. I've got a cold sore. Oh. Yeah, it's brilliant. On my British passport, I've got a whopping pet cornflake on my face. Nice. Yeah, it's excellent. It's Beautiful. Excellent. Yeah. Every time I popped into the EU, I'm like, yeah, that's right, buddy. Herpes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was good. Um, so when it comes time to living the way. I mean, it's all, it, you can read these books um, and you can go, yes, yes, I'm going to do that. H- how do you find the motivation to actively choose to do it? It's definitely a conscious choice, comes back to awareness. And I think a lot of people, the pain has got to get, the suffering has got to get bad enough to want to make the shift you know, and for me, I think having a really strong why or a mission is really important. Like for, for me, I know that I'm here on earth to help, to support and to inspire. And that drives me like that is my purpose. And I don't, you know, a lot of people, I think, think that we're here on earth to suffer, you know, but we're not. God, the universe, whatever you believe in, didn't put you here on earth to suffer. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice. And we can use that as fuel to get back on our path, to get back onto whatever it is that we believe that we came here to do. Because we've all got a purpose. We've all got a mission. We've all got something that we want to share. And how that looks for everyone is so different, but we can use these times where we fall off and stumble to get back onto our path and that's how how I see it and you know different books at different times they'll fall off shelves and hit you on the head just when you need it you know the teacher appears when the student is ready I've had people say to me um I bought your book you know my first book I bought it three years ago and I picked it up only six months ago and it's changed my life you know and it's like it's about timing Everything's about divine timing. You will pick up the right book. You'll listen to this episode with us in the most perfect timing that you need to hear it. There's no mistakes. There's absolutely no mistakes. Everything is perfectly timed and we just need to trust that. I think that's something else that I lost a lot of was trust and trusting myself, trusting the universe, trusting God and I've really had to work on that over the years. And I do, I trust that everything's always unfolding exactly the way it's supposed to, even the painful stuff. Because I, something I've certainly known is you can't, you can't have the non-painful stuff and not expect there also to be painful stuff. There is, it's the balance of energy and everything, isn't it? Totally. Like you're going to experience pain. Like people are going to pass away. As Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips once most famously said, everyone you know someday will die. Mm. it's a fact. Mm. You'll die. I'll die. My dog will die. Audrey will die. Mm. It's going to happen. 
and that is the price of life. Mm -hmm. Totally. Like there, yeah, you're going to experience different pain. You're going to experience grief. You're going to stub your toe and it's going to hurt and you might cut your leg and things might happen, but how you respond to it is your choice. Do you let it tear you down? Do you let it take you to rock bottom or do you see it as part of life and allow yourself to feel it like a wave, like feelings and emotions are just, emotions are energy in motion and the anger, the resentment, the fear, the the frustration, the sadness, the joy, the happiness, they're all just motion, energy in motion and we've got to let that wash over us like a wave. Like have you ever tried to stop a wave? You can't. You've got to let it wash over you and not let it take you down. And that's how I look at, you know, these things that happened to me. Like a few months ago, my 95-year-old nonna passed away. It was heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And I allowed myself to fully feel all of the pain, all of the sadness, all of the anger, the frustration, everything. I allowed myself to fully feel it which is not something I had done a lot of in my life because I'd watched my parents suppress everything and push it under the carpet. So I was never taught to fully feel my emotions. So I had to relearn that. And so I allowed myself, and I still do every day, to feel every emotion that I need to feel, knowing that it will pass. Like a wave, it'll wash over you. That always does. Nothing's permanent. The sadness isn't permanent. The joy isn't permanent. It's all flowing all the time. It's just energy in motion. <laughs> <laughs> and all we can try and do is learn how to surf. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> surf the waves. Ride the waves of the emotion. Don't fight it. Ride them. Yeah. Enjoy the freaking wave. Enjoy the journey. We don't know how long we're here for. We have no idea. We have absolutely no idea how much more time we have in this earth suit in this realm. We don't know. So we may as well have a freaking awesome time <laughs> in the process. Like my life goal is how much fun can I have today and how kind can I be to myself and to everyone else? That are my two, they are my two life goals. Your goal for your life involves a time frame today. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How much fun? Because all we have is this moment. This is it. This is all we have is this moment. Am I having the best fun that I've ever had in my entire life today? If not, why? Do something about it. Go and do something about it. Make sure that you are having the best fun that you can have. Bring joy to everything that you do. Be kind really kind to yourself and to others. But what about when people annoy you? That's okay. People annoy me, but I feel it. I allow myself to feel annoyed. I allow myself to feel sad or peed off. Like I allow myself to feel those things, but then I don't take things personally anymore. I mean, you know what it's like being in this industry. There's haters and there's some mean people out there. But you have to remember hurt people hurt people. You know, they're There's hurting. a comma in there. Yeah. <laughs> hurt people, comma, hurt people. Yeah. You know, it's so true. Yeah. 
for someone to be nasty, you have to kind of think, well, what's going on internally for them? Yeah. They must be really hurting, really hurting. For someone to say something like, you know, really mean, you just go, wow, you've got to have some compassion for what they're going through. You don't know. That's the thing. We don't know what's going on for anyone else. We really don't. Not even really internally for our partner. Like we can know to a degree, but we're not in their cells. We're not in their body. We don't know. We can do our best to try and understand, but we we will never know what it's like. And we have to just remember that everyone's doing the best that they can. They really are. Everyone is doing the best that they can, given the knowledge and the understanding that they have in that moment. It's an important thing to remember. It is. Thanks for coming around and making my house smell like oranges. You're so welcome. I brought him an essential oil. It's called Wild Orange. It's the oil of abundance. And I wanted to just bring more abundance to your life. And it's in my kitchen, which is where there is much abundance at the moment. Yeah. I'm uh, redefining my relationship with food at the moment. Oh, yeah. Tell me. I was in Weight Watchers when I was eight. Uh, Yeah. And um, full compulsion eating and emotional eating my whole entire life. Who put you on Weight Watchers? I went there with my mum. Were you overweight? Very. Were you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, 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 how shall I put this, orb-like. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Proper. When so was, hard to imagine. When I was eight, yeah, when I was eight and like my whole life. And so and I, I panic ate a lot, even into adulthood. Um, wow. Yeah, never really took the time to prep and create. And um, like this week, I'm 44. This week I planned a meal, seven meals out. Never have I ever done that in my life. Wow. Never have I ever done that in my life. And it was fucking awesome. They were the... Uh, chickpea uh, falafel that I made last night in the air fryer. Wow. So damn good. Wow. So, yeah, I'm in this. So, I'm grateful there's abundance in my kitchen, my orange smelling kitchen. Yay. Our orange smelling kitchen, <laughs> I should say. I share it with two fabulous women who have incredible relationships to food. Georgia, when she was 11, cooked me a, and I say this all the time because I'm so proud that she did it, a vegan a cashew crusted cheesecake. Oh, my gosh. Without a recipe. At what? the age of 11, she baked that. That's how much this kid knows about food and Yum. creation of food. And Audrey is, um, was cooking for her family when she was seven. It's uh, such an important skill. Yeah. And so the two of them have no, no way more than me. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I am grateful for the kitchen abundance that you've bestowed upon our house. Aww. Thank you kindly. Thank you. For Thanks for the books. Me. You're so welcome. Awesome, legend. Thanks so much for coming around. Thanks for making the time. Thank I'm so you. grateful that you you came today, and I'm 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 very I'm, I'm particularly grateful that you uh, you allowed yourself to be vulnerable and, and share with us those um, what it was like emotionally at the, the very very tricky t- time of your life because it's um, it's in authenticity like that that I think when people listen, whatever they're doing, mowing the lawn walking the dog, whatever people listen to podcasts, it's freaking awesome. People send me photos all the time of where they listen. And it's like this show's been to Iran, it's been to Nepal, it's been, it's been you know, Nuriutpur in Adelaide, South Australia, it's, you know, it's in the suburbs of, of Brisbane, you know, people listen to this stuff and it's in those moments that that's when people really click, man. And I'm really grateful you did that. Thank yeah, you. thank you Thanks for, for holding the space for me to share. Here to help. Thank you so much. Right, I'm just going to take your photo real quick, okay? Yeah, let's okay, do switch. it. There's the button. There it is. 
That was Melissa Ambrosini. You can find her on Instagram. She's at Melissa Ambrosini, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-A-M-B-R-O-S-I-N-I. Her books are Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. They're out wherever you buy books. Also, check out her podcast by searching Melissa Ambrosini in the podcast app that you're listening to this on right now. Speaking of books, it would be of enormous help for me if you pre-ordered my book to entice you to do so. If you click on osher.is slash pre-order, you can get a 21% discount. And if you then email me the receipt, send us your email at gmail.com, I will shoot you something personally special to say thank you. Both those links are in my Instagram bio. But yeah, it's really important that I say thank you. I'm so grateful that you're even listening, but I'm so grateful that so many people have already pre-ordered the book and I'm thrilled that uh, I get a chance to share this story with you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of the show. If you need me through the week, come find me on the Facebook group or Instagram or you can email me. Thank you very much to my audio producer, Andy Ma, who traveled back from Queen Bian tonight to make this episode. Uh, my producer, Hayley Vanspania, and of course, Toehider, who made all the music. Have a top time this week. I am accountable to you. As you go through this week, you should know in your heart of hearts, Osha's going to do something because he told me he would. And if he doesn't next week, I'm going to be ever so cross with him because I'm accountable to you and I'm going to make it happen because it's an accountability that we change habits. Yes, that's what I'm doing. That's why I'm doing it. Anyway, better split. Uh, until we talk next time, thank you for being here and uh, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 